Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Welcome to the next installment of the SUS News Podcast Series, where we interview newsmakers and discuss the news and applications relevant to the global unmanned technologies community. I'm your host, Patrick Egan, and this is the third part of a three-part interview with Andrew Shelley from Aviation Safety Management Systems. We conclude the discussion about his white paper, A Model of Human Harm from Falling Unmanned Aircraft Systems and Implications for UAS Regulation. Although I will say one thing I've noticed on my own is people that insure aircraft, uh, you know, if something happens on a, on a manned aircraft, uh, you know, let's say a, uh, you know, 767 or something like that, you sneeze on it wrong. It's a million bucks, you know. So the drone thing is like when you oh, well, you know, I had a mishap and I hit a pole and it was $5,000. You're like, Psh. That's peanuts, you know. That's nothing, man. That's walking around yeah. change. So uh, that, that that is true, actually. Um, the the dollars involved, because often they are, they are so small, uh, it's they aren't probably doing the analysis uh, and wrapping it up as an aviation liability rather than uh, some other category of liability. Uh, it certainly doesn't help there. No, um, and and you know we'll just have to see how that comes out. I, you know, as more uh, insurance agency or let's say underwriters or whatever companies get into the let's say drone insurance game, um, you know we'll have to we'll have to see. I think they're going to have to uh, find their sea legs also. But I think there'll be the the people um, that are that might have a hand on the tiller of that walk of excellence. But uh, we'll we'll have to see how that goes. Now. You know, moving forward, all of this that we've talked about, so, you know, we're, we're building up to the crescendo here, is the, uh, the micro arc. Okay, so that was the follow on. And everyone's sitting around and, you know, we've had reports and we had people come and give, uh, um, you know, talks about this uh, at the expo and everything else. And, uh, you know, the, the big takeaway was that the FAA was going to let the OEM self-certify that, the, uh, that their aircraft, uh, the failures, would, you know, 30% chance of serious injury on the AIS scale. And, God, it looks great. And this is fabulous. And we're going to be flying over people's heads in no time. And, golly gee, you know, it's a wonderful time to be in the drone business. <laughs> now, the way I looked at it as the FAA has been getting beat up by our Congress because everybody and their dog has got a lobbyist in this drone thing. And uh, Congress is just, you know, on the phone every day, you know, beating on the administrator who's become like, this guy's done a 180. He's like the drone fanboy now. Oh, drones are great. And, you know, we've gone from do no harm to, you know, I want a drone of my own or, you know, whatever in this short period of time with no data to back up any of this stuff. So, you know, that's, I'm a little surprised. But anyway, you know, so they've been beating on them. you got to do something. Well, the FAA is sitting there. Hmm. 
we're charged with safety of the NAS and safety of people on the ground and all that. How are we going to get out from the liability? Hey, I know what we'll do. We'll let the OEM self-certify and they can shoulder the, the liability. Well, uh, two two things there. The first is that, um, uh, as an economist, self certification just never sounds like a good idea. The incentives are just so wrong. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. We 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 think of uh, was it VW with uh, trying to circumvent the um, the emissions standards, and that wasn't even an issue with self certification. Uh, if they're willing to do that to try and deceive the regulator who's doing tests, just imagine what the incentives are uh, when you're self-certifying and there may not be a good regime in place to actually independently audit the, well, that self-certification. Well, and, and you know, you're, you're right there, you're, you're preaching to the choir. And I made this, uh, I do, you know, I hated Twitter at first, but I made this point on Twitter too. You're making my point. Now, same deal with the, the, the automatic car manufacturers. Oh, well, you know, we're going to let them self-certify that it's going to be safe. And it's very hard to program or a, a robot to make decisions to run over the kids or the nuns. Okay. <laughs> And somebody else said the same thing. Well, what would be the incentive for, you know, letting this go? And, and I made the Volkswagen, you know. I mean, some people, I, I, you know, maybe climate change. You know, you guys down there in the southern hemisphere had that hole in the ozone for a while. I don't know. Is climate change a big thing down there in New Zealand? Uh, politically, it seems to be an increasingly big thing. But, you know, I'm intrigued that you mentioned the, um, the ozone hole because, yeah, we seem to have repaired the ozone hole, but... Uh, unintended consequences uh, seems to be uh, a key key factor in that. Uh, apparently, one of the ways that we've repaired the ozone hole is by phasing out certain chemicals and replacing them with others which are much more ozone friendly, but have an enormous global warming potential. It's <laughs> uh, so that saying about the best laid plans of mice and men. Oh, absolutely. But now to return to this liability issue, the other thing to balance the incentives, though, is um, the, uh, the issue of product liability lawsuits. Um, and throughout the English-speaking world, there seems to be a standard legal approach uh, for damage caused by aircraft or anything falling from an aircraft is one of strict liability. So the operator of the aircraft has strict liability for any damage that they cause. And then there's the product liability suit that sits in behind that of actually we're looking to start looking back at the manufacturer. Are they providing something that's a, a safe product? So there is a, a balancing issue there of bad incentives on the one hand versus liability on the other. But from a safety perspective, you'd prefer that actually we put proper certification standards in in the first place and didn't have the accidents that then led to the lawsuits rather than just waiting for the lawsuits to sort it out. Well, you can, you know, come play drums in my band anytime. That's all I could say because uh, you know, it's the same thing. Uh, you know, this is going to happen. The lawsuits are going to happen. And, you know, people are going to get hit with these things and they are going to get sued. And, you know, 
maybe I'm some guy, I don't have insurance, but, you know, I'm living out of the back of my VW bus, um, you know. Hey, man, I don't have any money. Well, they're going to go after the manufacturer and go, well, you know, I mean, I, I can see this one. I, this is, I was calling it a, um, you know, this, this is going to be like a, you know, what are they, a personal injury insurance jackpot. You Absolutely. Know? Oh, well, you know, it says right here, you know, FAA self-certified, you self-certified, hit my client in the head. Um, and especially if it's a company like Amazon or Google or somebody else like that, their descendants will still be disabled. You know, it's going to be multi, multi millions of dollars and you're shouldering all of the liability yourself. So my thinking on that one is, is OK, be careful what you wish for because um, you have no direction at all. And that's not, and that isn't even how aviation works anyway. You know, you get to tell the FAA, hey, you know, we got to put together a standards group. We got to get people in here. We got to talk about, you know, what this means, some some baseline definitions. So we have something to uh, hit or targets to hit. So same deal with the self-certification. We're going to have to see what comes out in the NPRM. But your interpretation of what that may mean is might be different than my interpretation, depending upon what the standards look like and you would agree with that or or do you disagree with that oh i absolutely agree with that um one of the things i haven't mentioned about uh my background is that so so my company there's there's just the two of us but we also do um a bit of safety auditing in um uh, the non-aviation world and even when you're presented with an audit standard so that we can audit against that. The interpretations that different auditors have as to are you meeting the requirement of that standard can be quite significantly different. We've turned up to do audits uh, where the client has previously passed or passed at the highest level from a a different auditor and it's time for uh, a a new audit to ensure they're still compliant. we can't see how they could possibly have passed and, and and so you're going to get this sort of issue as well even if you've got an audit standard or a certification standard which looks clear uh, you have different levels of of interpretation depending on on the person and the level of of experience and knowledge they've got in that area uh, and i totally agree with you um you know it's kind of like um you know there's there's a software certification for um software for aviation and it's called there's a do 178 and there's different variations and uh, you know i've talked to people about this before because we've talked about the open source software that was never going to work and it seems like i'm going to be right about that one again we've got all kinds of stuff but anyway the do 178 is a very rigorous certification process where you know the cost estimates are for for just this isn't development and validation. This is just testing at the end of the day is $10 a line of code. Okay. And I've asked some of the manufacturers and I asked one guy, I go, well, how many lines of code do you have? And he says, well, we've got four very long ones. But that, <laughs> you know, was a great answer. I was like, that's a good one. I like that. But, uh, you know, in reality, that's going to be millions of dollars to certify code. A lot of the people in the in the drone world, especially here in Northern California, are software people. And, you know, you just go keep working on your software because it's we're thinking about it like a cell phone app. A cell phone app is much different 
uh, as far as like, you know, let's say certified software that you would use in any aviation. You know, you're going to have to have partitions that are certified. If your air, uh, you know, your uh, autopilot software interacts with the, the um, sensor software, well, that's going to need to be certified. It's just like a gift that just keeps on giving. And my thing is, if you don't play your cards right in the beginning, when the when the cheap dollars are being spent, you're going to come back and you're going to have uh, to spend the very expensive money to, let's say, fix the, the, the potholes that you made because you were naive. Agree, disagree? Oh, absolutely agree. Um, you mentioned cell phone apps. The, the other uh, uh, model that comes to mind is uh, Microsoft. Uh, when was the last time that you had a product released from Microsoft that people trusted and that the new release would be bug free. Um, you know, it's let's build it, see what breaks, and then we'll sort of fix it on the fly. Uh, well, that's, that's funny you say software that. Software development model. Well, it's funny you say that because uh, you know there's several things. I mean, I was in around during the dot bomb, and I, you know, I couldn't believe what was going on then, and it was just you know wasn't gonna wasn't gonna work. But then. Um, you know, the funny thing with the Windows thing is I gave up on that with Vista where you had to pay money to downgrade your operating system. I'm out, you know, at that point. I'm done. It was nice knowing you. Have a nice day, you know. So uh, it, it's funny that you mentioned that but because it is kind of true. And some people just kind of put up with that. Now, the other on that one is kind of funny is, you know, you may have heard about that down there where Google, you know, bought Boston Dynamics. And, you know, they're making these great robots that are quadrupeds and um, bipedal. Bipeds, yeah. And they're, you know, hey, we want you guys to make a commercially viable product. Oh, God, I'd have loved to have been a uh, fly on the wall in that meeting. I'm sure it was flying back and forth. <laughs> you know, look, you, know, <laughs> you guys you couldn't really even handle the Google Plus thing, man. And you're telling us how to, like, you know, do robots, bipedal robots. Have a nice day. I'm sure it was. Yeah. Bad. I'm sure it got very. Uh, let's say the language got very colorful during that meeting. <laughs> but uh, you know, I mean, a lot of people they look at this, all this technology. Oh, it's just software. I don't want to invest in hardware. Hardware is too hard. Oh man, you know, it costs a lot of money. There's this model where you have these kids writing code, and you're just shoving pizzas under the door. You know, <laughs> they'll come out 30 days with a, you know, cell phone app that, you know, has its own emoji, you know, I don't know, whatever. But you know what I'm saying. Oh, absolutely. It must be, I'd love to know what software development process uh, Elon Musk is using at Tesla. Because their model seems to be somewhat more robust than what, software development normally is uh, so uh, I know someone um, here in New Zealand who spent the dollars to import a Tesla and he's just wrapped with the way that when he gets a, a software upgrade uh, it's it's guaranteed it, it's been tested and it works it's not a, a software upgrade that's going to introduce a set of bugs that nobody realized existed but actually it's been properly tested um, so whatever he's doing he's doing it right and that would be good to see uh, yeah well I'm waiting for that you know I, the day is coming I'm sure it's coming but it's funny that you mention that because you know he has the autopilot right 
And they have some comical, like, you know, they have ludicrous speed and some other stuff. They have the autopilot. And I don't know if, you know, uh, how many are down there in New Zealand. However, you had people up here on in uh, the States and uh, on YouTube, and they're in the back seat with the autopilot on filming it with their camera. I do not believe that, you know, hey, let's uh, we're going to come up with this autopilot thing. And, uh, you know, the idea is, is you could take a nap in the back seat. I do not believe that was like, you know, the meeting with the whiteboard. Let's get together and brainstorm what we're doing over here. You know, um, we have had a couple of accidents. You know, right now, I would say that they're self-certifying. If we have a rash of accidents, self-certifications going out the window. Agree? Disagree? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And and to be fair, I think people are there. This is it. People do dumb things as well. People <laughs> are taking the opportunity to use the product outside of the bounds that it's intended to be used. At the moment, it's supposed to be helping you reduce your potential for an accident while you're sitting in the driver's seat. Uh, Right. It's it's not supposed to be letting you have a nap in the back seat. <laughs> exactly. Well, and then you know, it brings up so many other things. And I did have a guy on the podcast who was a engineering fellow at Stanford and also a like a law fellow at Stanford and I was like, "Geez, no so, no social life over there, huh?" But <laughs> He's talking about, uh, you know, the, the automatic car thing. And we were talking about that liability, you know. I mean, you know, I'm behind the wheel. I'm having a sandwich. And, you know, the car, you know, runs Granny Smith over, you know. I mean, who's liable? I mean, I'm technically like the systems operator. Should I be, should I be watching? Um, you know, is it uh, the manufacturer of the car? Is it the person that made the software? Well, here in the United States, the lawyers call it taking the big bite of the apple and you just sue everyone, you know, and uh, and, and see what you can make stick. So, well, you know, we're going to have to see how this uh, turns out. The other thing I think is kind of funny here in Northern California is you have these different companies that are doing their automatic cars. And when there are accidents, nobody's like, oh, you know, uh, they, they try to keep it under wraps. Even the Stanford has an Audi. I went to the robotics block party a couple of years ago and they had these fabulous uh, SOPs for using the espresso machine, which I wish I would have snapped a picture because it was like three pages. It was great. Uh, but I did notice that the Stanford Audi had a tuft of grass in the air dam. You know, <laughs> where did the tuft of grass come from? You know, I was preoccupied with other things. I would have liked to chase that down, but I, I thought that was funny and I should have got a picture of that too, but I didn't. But, you know, these systems aren't perfect. You are right. People do stupid things and people do things with other things that are stupid, you know. Uh, so we'll, we'll have to see how that all shakes out. Oh, and, and this brings us back to... Uh manned aviation and the software development standards there too. We've had uh, aircraft that are capable of taking off and landing themselves since uh, the 1960s I think it is. Mm. Uh, the Boeing 777 can land itself. Uh, the software and the systems are good enough to do that and uh, I think here in New Zealand each Boeing 777 has to do a, a self-landing once a month in order to remain certified that it's capable of doing that. But then we still have pilots on board, and we have pilots on board for a reason. No matter how good the software is, it does fail. And only a couple of years ago, I forget when exactly, the FAA put out an alert to um, air transport operators that 
it wanted to see pilots getting more hands-on stick time and not relying on the autopilot because if an emergency occurred they needed to have the skills that were good enough to be able to fly the aircraft and not be so rusty because all they'd been doing is sitting there watching the autopilot. Exactly, and that was kind of, you know, if you look at the, the we had that um, accident in San Francisco with the Ariana flight a few years ago, and the guy that was over there in the right seat, like, had almost no time, you know? Yeah. So they were relaxing the um, the standards. Now, <clears throat> you know, people talk about that. Oh, we're going to see the day when there's, you know, no pilot in the cockpit. Mm, I don't know. I still want one guy up there. Now, in the old days, you know, when they had the commercial airlines, you had like, you know, you had an engineer in there and you had a pilot and a co-pilot, you know, blah, blah, blah. And the crew has started to shrink. And I think you might have a situation where you have a person there by himself in our lifetimes, whatever else. But I think you're going to still want somebody on board that's a systems manager. And, you know, everything goes uh, south, so to speak. The, the guy hopefully has the skill set to bring the bird in manually you know because <clears throat> uh, i look at technology and I'm, i love technology you probably love technology we all love technology and it's great when it works absolutely when it's not working it's not so bueno but uh, you know the rest of the time it's good so you know uh one other thing is you know i wanted to talk about mitigators and even this morning i had a conversation with a guy you know i fly my unmanned aircraft with prop guards People say, oh, prop guards, oh, God, you know, they degrade the performance, and oh, they're this, and they're that. And I'm like, you know what, the, the, the uh, effect is minimal, and the added safety that I get from a, a quality prop guard, if it hits someone, um, you know, they're not going to get hit by the prop, hopefully, or that, uh, let's say, is reduced, that, that, that uh, risk is reduced. It's worth it to me to spend the money. I, I uh, got a pair out of Germany. They were 200 bucks, okay? But they're stiff. Um, they work. And it's worth it to me. The peace of mind is worth it to me. So that might be one mitigator. Another mitigator might be a parachute. And I noticed that you uh, um, referenced fruity shoots. And I know Gene. And Gene's come and spoke at the uh, the expo um, and demonstrated his products and everything else. And, and, and the parachutes, I think, is a good idea as a mitigator. But, but could we, like, you know, let's say put all of our eggs into that basket as a mitigator for... Uh, unmanned aircraft causing injury? Uh, I think they're absolutely marvellous for a particular type of mitigation. So if you're going to be flying at 200 feet uh, and you have a some sort of failure that results in your machine plummeting to the earth, um, that's the ideal time to be activating a parachute, slow it down to a a velocity that where if, if it hits someone, the kinetic energy is not going to be enough to to um, to harm them. And that's the perfect situation for them, um, and particularly for a multi-rotor uh, machine. Um, there may be situations where they're relevant for fixed wings, but usually a fixed wing you're going to be able to pilot it so that it can glide to to to, to a safe landing area. So so I think used in context they're, they're absolutely marvellous for mitigating that particular risk but but as you say if you're flying uh, close to people uh, 
prop guards are again that they seem to be a no-brainer. Why would you not have a prop guard when you're flying close to people? Uh, our flight control software is certainly not fail-safe. Our pilots aren't fail-safe. When you're operating at a distance, you can misjudge where two objects are in relation to each other in, in three dimensions. Uh, it just makes sense to have have those prop guards on. They're, they're cheap and they can avoid injury. Exactly. So, yeah, we're in agreement there. And I, and I do, you know, like you just said, there are, depending upon where you're going to operate and what you're going to do, say you're doing the uh, high power transmission lines or, or high voltage, whatever. Hey, okay, uh, it's a fixed wing. You got a parachute on it. You have a failure. It comes down. You know, that might make sense. Um, so, you know, we'll, we'll have to see uh, what comes up in the future. But I do think that uh, the, the OEMs unwittingly grabbed the tiger by the tail with a self-certification thing. That's, that would be one of my conclusions from all of this. Um, and we'll see how that plays out. But uh, I, I don't know that it was uh, well thought out. So, you know, we've been chatting for a while. This is a great conversation. I'll probably have to break this up into multiple podcasts. But... Um, you know, maybe you could tell me some of the conclusions that uh, you came to, you know, doing the paper, the micro arc after that, um, and, and where we're kind of headed into the future. Well, the, um, the first conclusion, uh, which is one that's not written in the paper, is that you know, policy is a political process. And, and so policymakers are usually highly focused on achieving consensus uh, by hook or by crook. Um, but consensus without proper analysis is, is really meaningless. So we've talked about a lot of things today um, around that, of, of, of perhaps a number of those on MicroArc being railroaded into a position they didn't understand uh, and how... There's some significant liability issues out there that they might not understand. Uh, and this would have been a lot clearer um, if there'd been proper analysis conducted. And uh, the lack of analysis hasn't made those issues go away. I would I'd concur with all of that. I mean, you know, there is, like I said, I mean, obviously there's, when they uh, launch these, there's obviously a end goal that they are trying to meet, and we do have to get there by hook or by crook. Um, my thing is, is I'm one of these guys, I mean, I'm not an engineer. However, I understand that there's this, you know, scientific process, something that's repeatable, and, you know, you can go out there and try and, uh, you know, collect some data, I'm into replicable data collection. I'm not a real big fan of the models um, and things like that. But if you're going to go into something like this, and we, and we didn't even get into the, the AIS scale, but that was another question. Mm. I asked, you know, did you have a medical doctor on the micro arc to represent, you know, or tell you what these things would be or what this, uh, you know, what these serious injuries could be, you know? Now, we didn't have anybody. So who made the call? Well, you know, we just had to wing it. That, in my estimation, is not a good way to make policy. <laughs> they'd have done a better job if they'd actually spent a bit of time on YouTube looking at some of the injuries. <laughs> well, maybe next time that's what we'll have to do. You know, the other one that cracks me up is that people just keep throwing this bird thing in there. You know, oh, well, 
there's millions of birds and oh, planes hit the birds and you know yeah okay but the bird you know doesn't have he's I, one he's organic when organic matter hits something usually the ten, uh, the it, it tends to uh, liquefy okay yes. Metal, not so much. You know, that's one thing. The other thing is the bird's kind of organic. He's out there. He doesn't know any better. You know, hey, oh, there's a bug. You know, I'm going to go out there and get the bug. And uh, he's not really, um, let's say, you know, most species of birds aren't as together or have the wherewithal or self-awareness that uh, humans have. He may try to survive. But hey, you know what? He doesn't really understand what this plane is or whatever, and, and he gets hit. But you can't go back and sue him later or his family. You know? That's right. Um, so that's it's a totally different thing. And then I hear these other ones where people are like, well, that's why these airliners have multiple engines. So if you, you know, ingest one of these drones, yes, it's going to shell the motor, but you have another one. And I'm like, oh, God, please don't do not say that anywhere. Oh look, uh, this this one is is particularly interesting. Um, there was two things that happened last year, which sort of put the lie to this whole argument of oh, it doesn't matter. We've got engines are designed for to, to self-container failure and that sort of thing. So the first one was that one of those uh, engineering schools did a marvelous numerical simulation of what would happen when a small UAV hits a turbine engine. It wasn't pretty at all, and it was. It wasn't just that it would strip out turbine blades and the engine would shut down. It actually was a complete uncontained engine failure, where the casing of the engine gets ripped apart by turbine turbine blades, and they go into into the wing, and and then around about the same time, you might recall the uh, there was a Boeing triple seven that. Um, Caught fire. Uh, now I don't, I can't remember the details just off the top of my head. But at one of your airports over there, there was a Boeing triple seven that had uh, an engine failure and it caught fire on the runway. Something hit. It appears that something actually hit the engine while it was at less than full speed, and that's when it's uh, most vulnerable. Uh, and it did exactly what this numerical simulation predicted. Uh, turbine blades broke. Uh, the engine is supposed to be designed to withstand that, but it still had an uncontained uh, engine failure. The blades pierced the wings. The wings are full of fuel, and the next thing you've got this great big fire. It was it was quite convenient that the aircraft was still on the ground. But if that had been in the air at say a thousand feet, and that happens because someone flies there their drone in the wrong place the results could be disastrous exactly and even that and and you know i tell people please don't mention this near uh any faa people ntsb people or anybody from the airline pilots you know because the thing is is you i'm sure you've flown a commercial airliner you know um and the thing is as i've told people i mean if there's turbulence I would even call it severe turbulence. People start going a little, you know, they get edgy, you know, and the captain's going to come on, you know, um, you know, don't pay attention to that fire out on the port wing. It's okay. Have another bag of peanuts, you know, <laughs> it's going to be pandemonium, man, on the plane. So uh, my thing is, it goes back to what I was saying before. There are certain places where drones should not be 
uh, and even as an industry, uh, I've, I've done a little of the uh, Jiminy Cricket uh, industry, Jiminy Cricket. Well, nobody liked that guy in Pinocchio. Jeez, he was a wet blanket. But, you know, hey, man, don't be showing videos to people where they're flying at, you know, Mexico City Airport. Oh, well, they had the authority and they had a disclaimer. Yeah, they had a disclaimer. But, you know, a million people downloaded that. How many of those million people do you think read that disclaimer? Probably yeah. two. Okay. It's an exaggeration, of course, because I can't qualify that. But my point with that is, is how many people are like, you know what? I'm getting my drone. I'm going to go down and I'm going to get some cool footage like that. Don't be an ass, you know. Uh, try to be a little smarter than that. Um, and, and some people, they don't care. Uh, this is another thing that we've got going on in the United States. I don't know if so much in uh, uh, New Zealand. But there's like this cult of personality thing, you know. I want to be the drone guy, you know. I joke about how I'm a drone expert because I have drone in my Twitter handle. That's all you need to know, you know. <laughs> uh, Absolutely. You know, so it, and it works, you know. I can go places and tell people I'm an expert, but I tell people I'm actually an aspiring drone expert because uh, there are people that are more knowledgeable than I am on all of the different subjects. I am not an across-the-board expert. I know people that are, but not me. Anyway, um, you know, why don't you, uh, if you could, I mean, you said you had a business. Could you give us your website? Okay, so the website is www.asms.co.nz. So uh, the the company name is Aviation Safety Management Systems Limited. Uh, so that's that's the one that uh, focuses on on all the aviation related uh, issues and material. And uh, we've got a few things on there. Um, there's a, a publication section which has got a few. Uh, interesting bits and pieces in there as well, including um, uh, perhaps a, a personal rant about the, the, the cult of airport security. <laughs> yeah, boy, that's a whole other show right there. Oh, it is. It is. You know, um, now another question, you know, uh, just a little bit of a side note, but I did notice that in your paper you uh, referenced some work that Reese Clothier did. Do you know Reese? Uh, no. Now, what work was that? Just refresh. Uh, there was a reference in the in the paper, uh, your paper, but it was a study that was done. He's actually in Australia, uh, working there, but he's actually from New Zealand. I was just wondering oh, okay. him. Good guy. Uh, he's written some other good reports, which I will share with you um, offline. And really, uh, there's some of the only other reports that I've seen that even kind of reference any kind of science. But he was up here in California. Uh, and he was at NASA Ames for a while, and I did get to meet with him and talk with him. Good guy. But um, that's another thing I want to do is if you ever get up here to Northern California, I don't know if you ever make it up here, you're invited, you know, I'd buy you a nice Mexican dinner, cold uh, cerveza, and uh, or, you know, if you're up here at the right uh, time of year, I'd like to invite you to come and speak at the uh, Small Unmanned Systems Business Expo, which is first week of May. First week of May, wow. Okay, well, we'll actually have to bear that in mind. We've got now um, invitations for the two coasts. Uh, we've got an invitation for uh, any time you're in New York, just last week. Um, and, uh, yeah, we, we must make a trip of it. Yeah, most definitely. So that offer stands, you know. Just uh, think about it if you're ever here. I do think that the work you did was good. Um, you know, I didn't know you or didn't uh, know any of your positions or your work prior to me uh, belly aching about the poor performance of the representatives of both on the uh, task force and the micro arc. Um, 
But uh, I, I did like what you came up with, I, and I agreed with a lot of it. I mean, we didn't agree on everything 100%, and that's okay, because that's the beauty of having a free and open conversation is we don't have to agree on everything um, and, and different points of view, which I think are good. So uh, I enjoyed our conversation. I'm going to have to like, probably split this into three shows. It was really uh, good and enlightening. And, uh, you know, anytime you ever, uh, if you come up with other papers or other um ideas or even articles or whatever, please uh, share them with us and we'd love to share them on the SUS News. Well, that sounds great. Thank you very much, Patrick. Um, I have a couple of others uh, that I'm working on. Actually, uh, it's still related to unmanned aircraft, but on privacy and trespass type issues. Uh, So another thorny subject there that... uh... Yes, but they're relevant subjects. So, uh, yeah, we'd be uh, we'd love to see those. And, um, you know, when, when you when you get them done, send them over. I'll do that. Well, thank you again, sir. It was very nice meeting you. And uh, we appreciate uh, you taking the time to uh, have a chat with us. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. All right. Well, uh, that'll do it for this week. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.